It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. I have a great show for you today. I think you're going to be really interested um, in this topic and what my guest has to say about it. The term dissociative disorders affects about 2% of the U.S. population. It describes a persistent mental state that is marked by feelings of being detached from reality, being outside one's own body, or experiencing memory loss, also known as amnesia. Often misdiagnosed, DID is known predominantly to be caused by severe childhood trauma combined with a disorganized attachment style. Today's special guest, Lynn Barrett, suffered from dissociative disorder. This retired teacher, school principal, and pastor was diagnosed with it in 1992. In her memoir, Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory, Lynn takes us through her journey from happy wife and mother to internally living with more than 10 distinctive personalities or alters. After much therapeutic work, Lynn lives a happy a happily integrated life and now manages a functional life. She currently facilitates writer's workshops and teaches a memoir class for dissociative writers, writes weekly blogs and a newsletter, and speaks on public radio podcasts and other settings. She holds advanced degrees from Lehigh University and Lancaster Theological Seminary. Good morning, Lynn, and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. It's wonderful to have you. I've got her on mute. Oh, let's do that again. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. Good morning, Lynn. You're welcome. <laughs> Was I muted? Okay, good I morning. And I'm really happy uh, to uh, be here today and to speak to you and to speak to your audience about dissociative identity disorder and my my journey through that in my life. Yes, and we cover a lot of mental health topics on this show because it's something I'm very passionate about and I do believe mental health affects physical health and it's just kind of all connected it affects spiritual health everything is mm-hmm. all one absolutely so this, some, this um, dissociative identity disorder is something that people are very curious about and probably really um, have a different perception about what it is than maybe you might represent it as, but um, let's start with what, uh, what made you get in touch with the fact that there might be something going on? <laughs> well, um, so I was a, um, I, I laughed at that only because that's just a huge <laughs> question. Um, 
and uh, it wasn't so much that I got in touch with it, but it got in touch with me. <laughs> it um, stopped me in my tracks. Um, I, although I had been a very extremely shy child and um, always felt that I was defective, I um, managed to create a life for myself. Uh, when I was a young adult, I married a, a man that I loved, and I had four children that I adored, and I was a very um, happy wife and mother, and um, that was really my calling, and um, probably all I really wanted to do, although I did go back to school uh, to be certified in teaching, but uh, my family was everything to me, and um you know, when I was in my mid-30s, I started having very strange experiences um, of unreality, of not feeling present in my body, of being ex- highly triggered, but not knowing or understanding what a trigger was. Um, so today I understand a trigger. I know if I've been triggered, I can manage it, and it's not a big deal. But back then, uh, I would have these overwhelming emotions about things that um, didn't seem to warrant that kind of response. Um, And so it was really, it was a gradual um, uh, decompensation is the word that um, we use to describe it. Um, It was a gradual decompensation that lasted for, um, well, for a good 10 years. Um, and uh, in the middle of that, um, I did learn that my husband was having an affair and that that accelerated the decompensation, you know, because it um, mimicked the original betrayal of, um, uh, of of someone that you loved and cared for, that you thought cared for you, was um, uh, uh, hurting you instead. And so... Um, uh, it, it was it, it's it, during this time i would say that um i had feelings uh of not being myself um that my surroundings and my circumstances seemed unreal <clears throat> my emotions and my thinking didn't match i had multiple strands of thought going on in my head i had body pain everywhere i would often have to crawl up into a fetal position and stare out into space because I um, I would be in so much uh, psychic pain. Um, I experienced suicidal ideation all the time because this disorientation, um, it, it, it just makes you feel like you are crazy. And I felt as if I was crazy and that I would be better for myself, for my children, for the people I loved if I would just um, if I would just commit suicide. Um, and, and, and the odd thing was that at the same time this was happening, I was also excelling professionally um, at the same time that I was decompensating at home and in my personal life. Um, and, and as I learned later, and I certainly didn't know this at the time, um, that I have parts that were very capable of going out there and doing professional work um, while I had other parts that were carrying the trauma, that were carrying the pain, that were frozen in fear or that were dominated by shame. 
um, so each each of my parts, you know, had a different purpose, um, and so they each carried something different. And um, and and I think what happens with dissociative identity disorder is usually for a period of time after childhood. So this happens in childhood, uh, and it has to be chronic abuse or trauma. It can't be a one-off. But if it happens multiple times, particularly if um, the perpetrator is um, a parent figure, uh, someone that the child relies on, then um, the the um, undeveloped brain of the small child uh, it begins to form these separate parts that can hold uh, these coping strategies that um, that so that the child uh, the presenting part of the child goes back out and can live with in this setting without realizing that they were abused. So I wanted to explain that a little bit because it, it, it it's at the, at the time that it's happening, um, we're creating uh, parts to hold the pain so that we can go back out there and not know that something is happening. And, and, and so it, it, it's functional from that perspective. Um, when you're a young child and as you're growing up, usually, uh, and, and I'm speaking for myself, but I think it's true for quite a few people, that our um, our parts may operate fairly collaboratively and functionally, so we don't even know we have them um, for a number of years. But then sometime in late adolescence or adulthood, it can, it can, it can go all the way up to the seventh decade where it starts to leak out. Uh, you know, our bodies can't hold, our bodies and minds can't hold that trauma inside forever. And so the um, the memories of the uh, abuse leak out, the traumatic memory leaks out, and then our parts start to uh, speak or have a voice or dominate our our, our uh, lives or our actions. And so for me, that 10-year period, uh, probably from about the age of 35 to 45 was the period of my life where I literally felt crazy because all this stuff is coming out and I had no idea what it was about. And I, 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 I was just, I just thought I was crazy. And, um, uh, and so at the age of 45, I was diagnosed, uh, with multiple personality disorder was the name that it was given back then. Uh, a few years after my diagnosis, they changed the name to uh, dissociative identity disorder. Um, so I, that's the that's the, the long route uh, to the answer <laughs> of your question. I, I hope that um, I've answered it uh, helpfully. Oh yes, absolutely. Did you um, with the uh, dissociation, dissociative disorder, I should say, did you lose periods of time? Uh, I I did my I I had no memory of my childhood, um, uh, and I had no memory between the different parts. Um, it took them a, a long time to get to know each other to lower those amnesic barriers. I did not lose time, or at least uh, I'm not aware of losing time. Sometimes they say that we lose time, and we we're, we're so dissociative that we're not aware we've lost time. So I, I that's the best way that I can answer that. Um, the amnesia that we experience um, can 
take those different kinds of forms, you know, uh, loss of memory of large periods of your life, loss of current memory um, or loss of memory between the different parts of yourself. Well, people often ask me, you know, because I, I work with narcissistic personality disorder victims and mm-hmm. survivors, and um, people all often ask me, why would one child become a narcissist and the other child's children would not under the same kind of um, oppression environment, um, you know, abuse or humiliation or whatever it is. Children find different ways to deal with these things. And so that's a question that I want to ask you because I don't know if there's really an answer to it, but why would a child split this way? I I think that's a great question and and I don't have the answer for it, but I can um, um, make some reflections on that. it is true that, that, that in the same family and with some of the same experiences, children will respond in very different ways. Um, and so uh, any child who has experienced chronic abuse will have some um, form of um, uh, coping strategy to help them manage that experience but not every child will have dissociative identity disorder. I have been uh, told that research uh, says that um, there's probably a uh, genetic factor in terms of dissociation. Now, um, lots of people dissociate, but that doesn't mean you have dissociative identity disorder. so it's a and, and let me explain dissociation a little bit. I mean, at, at its very uh, uh, simplest form, it's something that we all do. You know, if we get bored, uh, we our minds go somewhere else. Our mind and our body kind of split. You know, so so think of, of if you are in a um, uh, a lecture hall and there's a very boring lecturer up there giving a talk. And but you're right next to the window, and you see the kids playing soccer, and you see birds in the trees. So your mind uh, there with the t- birds in the trees, and the kids playing soccer, and it's not in your body right here in front of this lecturer because you, uh, because because you your mind has sort of dissociated from that. Now that's a really benign form of dissociation, and it's something that we all do. But um, I would also say that people, so um, dissociation, because it's a separation of mind and body, um, it can become very protective. So if a um, a, a veteran who has, a soldier who, who's experienced um, the battlefield <clears throat> uh, may dissociate on the battlefield and then may come home as a veteran and continue that dissociation and that um, is uh, one of the um, uh, symptoms of PTSD. <clears throat> and uh, likewise, a, a woman who has been raped, she may dissociate during uh, the, 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 the um, criminal act uh, just to protect herself. And, and, and then she comes back and she um, thinks that she's 
over it, um, maybe gets a little bit of treatment, um, but that dissociation may come back. Um, those are all forms of dissociation. They're not DID, but they're, all, they're, they're a part of the dissociative umbrella. So DID is sort of at the extreme end, and that's when the, the trauma happens um, over and over again in the ch- before the child's brain is fully formed, and so it can create these separate parts. Um, it still doesn't answer your question. We don't know exactly why some children will um, develop DID and some children won't. Um, but um, it is a very effective coping strategy. I can say that. Uh, but it, but but once we're adults, it is it, it is crazy making. It's crazy making, and it's not. It's painful. It it promotes you know, suicidal ideation. It's it's very um, dis very dysfunctional in adulthood. But at the moment of uh, of the um, uh, of the trauma, it, it is functioning to protect the child. Um, so how many, you had 10 different, 10 distinctive personalities or alters? Well, actually I had probably more, closer to 20. Um, in the, in the um, book itself, I think I introduced 12 uh, who were my foundational, uh, uh, my foundational uh, alters who really had the most, say in my life, who had the most airtime, who um, came forward and fronted the most often. But there were uh, there were fragments and and other parts of me that existed and came up occasionally that I didn't uh, speak about. So it was it was um, it was close to 20. Uh, I think the the DSM five says that um, you need two or more distinct alters. Um, and but I also uh, am aware of people who have hundreds of alters, um, and so and they do something called polyfragmenting, which I'm not really certainly not an expert on, so I'm, I can't even explain that to you. I just imagine that it means that one alter will then split again wow. multiple times because of the continued abuse. Um, so it's anywhere from two to hundreds um, of alters. Did uh, did people experience these different alters with you and get confused about your behavior? Well, I think that's a really great question because um, most of us, uh, what we know about DID is um, Hollywood versions uh, and, of course, the most um, uh, famous ones are Sybil and Eve of the three faces of Eve, um, and uh, and and in both of those cases they were very overt in their um, presentations, and so um, people expect that folks with DID will be that way. But the truth is that probably uh, there maybe about five percent of people with DID have overt presentation, and ninety five percent have covert presentation. Um, which means it makes a lot of sense actually, because the, the 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 splitting happened in order to prevent the child from knowing um, the the abuse was happening. So we called it hidden disorder. That it is a 
its whole purpose is to hide from the person, his or herself, or um, or from from other people. You know, so we we are terrified to share this with others. So would people see it in me? I I, I think when I when when my altar. Um, I used to be extremely shy and extremely um, submissive. Uh, and once my altar, uh, whose name was Mike, uh, who was a um, uh, really carried my anger, uh, came forward um, and I began to get to know him, I, I think people noticed that I started getting feistier, you know, uh, and I was more assertive at the, at, at, at then. Um, so I, I think people can see your some of your changes um, in what they would just consider mood. But I think most for most people with DID, people are not going to um, experience that as change of personality. Uh, they're just going to experience that, that she or he is in, in, in a different kind of a mood. Um, so um, unless unless you are intimate, you know, if you're if you're married to someone or in an intimate relationship, uh, that may happen. I want to say, I am seventy four years old, and I am just coming out now um, because we are um, uh, we are told we are programmed not to tell, not to let anybody know this. So we do everything we can to prevent people from knowing that we exist. Um, when I uh, so I, I graduated from seminary and they did a, um, uh, a, a, a article on me um, in the seminary newsletter, and right after that article came out, I received a email from a, a graduate who graduated years after I did, and I didn't know her at all. And she said, I almost fell off my chair when I read this article. I was diagnosed 20 years ago, and I've never told anyone because of fear. And I share that because I think that's really important. We are terrified to let people know about this. There are many reasons why we're terrified. We're terrified because we were programmed to think that something terrible would happen if we shared this. Um, but we're also terrified in our current day context because there's such a stigma uh, that if we're in a professional role or in any kind of role, um, you know, people could can start thinking really awful things about us um, or sidelining us or uh, making us feel even more crazy. So we have a lot of fear about sharing it, and so we're very, very good at hiding it. And what that means is that most people... Uh, you would not know um, that uh, they have DID. Um, and I, I guess I would want to say, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this before the show started or after um, uh, in the interview, so I want to say it again, that it's anywhere between 1% and 5% of the population has DID. And um, and, I, and just think about that. If you If you go to church and there's 100 people in the pews, between one and five of them have either diagnosed or undiagnosed DID. And if you are in a school and there are 100 children at an assembly in the auditorium, between one and five of them have undiagnosed DID because it's, it's rare that DID is diagnosed in childhood because the, the children, child, because, because 
the child is working so hard to keep that in 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 internal and i think that's um that's pretty shocking you know to realize how prevalent it is and and how often it is that uh people that we know well or um that our our neighbors or that we work with may be suffering from this and probably they're suffering silently oh wow does can you get to know can a person get to know their authors without um psychological or psychiatric help without somebody helping them point them out <laughs> Well, Randy, you ask such good questions. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think absolutely that's true uh, because that's what happens is they start coming out and then and you feel like you're going crazy and then you go to a therapist and so you start to, to, to work through the work. But you can get to know um, your alters uh, without therapeutic work. I don't recommend it um, because I, I want to just say, so, so first of all, when we start, to discover we have alters often, I mean, everybody's response is different. So I I can only speak for myself and also people that I know or am in contact with or relationship with that um, we, we may feel really upset that this is um, uh, happening that we're, you know, we, we may not, we may not want to believe it for one thing. We we probably don't believe it. Um, And, um, and yet these parts, come up and, and, and start talking or doing things, and, and we, we think, oh, I'm just making this up. Um, I, 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 I've, I've made a friend uh, on the other side of the world, uh, uh, and we communicate um, uh, through um, um, instant messages and, and whatever, and, uh, and, and, when she, and she's a brilliant um, and vivacious and um, creative woman, um and she was just so um really furious to think that she had this diagnosis and and did not want to believe it and and so that that's not uncommon and so that's why why therapists can sort of help us uh through that um uh difficult um experience of of coming to terms with it um so what I experienced with my therapist, which I found to be very, very helpful, is I would have, a, a, you know, most of the, some of my alters were mean and angry, you know, and they were ready to take on anybody and, and they would come into the therapy room and be, you know, and, and be miserable. And my therapist always said, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, or it's so brave of you to come up. I hope you come back again. Uh, and if they would get mad at her, she would say things like, um, let's talk about what that really is all about, you know. And and so um, it, it, what what she did, so, so these parts of ourselves are actually hurt children. They are hurt children. They may, they may present as adults. Uh, but they are they they are hurt children. They've been deeply wounded, and they actually protected us and saved us. And I I like to remind people of that when they have altars, because we do have altars sometimes who try to hurt us. Um, and uh, you know, if if we can if we can start to accept them as who they are, which are really hurt children, that helps to heal them. 
um, and 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 helps to uh, them to communicate uh, and tell their stories. In the beginning, they don't want to tell you anything; they just want to, you know, rule your life. And um, and and so it's a long journey to get to know your alters. Uh, I think that certainly people do do some of it without therapeutic work, but it's I I, I think to reach the um, fullest. Uh, healing that one can reach uh, that it is important to work with a trauma informed therapist who has either had experience with DID or is really willing to learn. Mm. <clears throat> you said you were saying um, earlier that children are working so hard to, um, to hide the, um, you know the the dissociation, mm-hmm, but really, mm-hmm, what you're mm-hmm. you're meaning that when you say that is their subconscious because they're not really consciously exactly. trying, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, they're not they're not aware of what they're doing, but they're holding it in and holding it down. And so, but so, some children. Now, I was as a little girl. I was the perfect child. I, I was I was a terrified little girl all the time. So I never stepped out of the line at all. And um, so I would have been the teacher's perfect pet, you know, but it, but other children don't respond that way. You might have children with behavioral problems um, because they, they, they don't know what's going on in their mind. Um, they, they, they have no clue. Um, you, may, you may have children with all kinds of um, uh, other um, uh, presenting issues um, or, or you may have children that are absolutely perfect like me. Um, so you can't really – there's not one presentation in, in, in children who, who have DID. Um, and, it, and, and, again, it, it, the child doesn't know what's going on inside of them. I didn't know why I was terrified. I was just terrified, you know. And so I did my very best to be good so that I didn't get hurt. Um, and, you know, other children won't know why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And that usually doesn't come up and out until they're much older. Your parents got really angry with you and tried to dissuade you from therapy when you talked to them about this. And is that because they knew that they were the perpetrators and they didn't want you to figure that out? Well, I can't answer that question for you. Um, uh, they only they can answer that, and of course they're they're gone. Um, and, um, and and I would also say I never named them as perpetrators either in the book or in uh, to their faces, um, and I didn't because my alters didn't. They, you know, all the signs pointed to the fact that they were the ones who were doing it. But um, my 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 little alter, Rosie, who was the center of my system, and she was two or three years old, she never said, "It's your, you know, my father did this or my grandfather did this or my mother did this. She would say, I crawled up into his lap, you know. And so I, uh, so I have... I have never, um, I've never named them. I never accused them. 
uh, I went to them after they came out of the hospital and I said, I thought they would, at that point, I thought they loved me, you know, and I said to them, you know, we think that maybe I was hurt as a child and I don't remember who could have hurt me. Do you have any ideas? And they were, instead of saying, oh, you know, golly, how can we help you? Let's talk about this. The way you expect a parent would respond to that. Instead, they they put up this wall. They got very defensive, and they didn't want me to talk about it. Um, And they just tried to dissuade me from therapy. Um, My father said, don't don't look at the hobgoblins of the past. Uh, my mother disowned me. Uh, the first time I set a boundary, uh, I had I had said to her, um, I had called her because her, her, her brother had died and I wanted to see how she was doing. And so we were just having some um, conversation and then we went into small talk. And I told her a little bit about my therapy because I had just come out of the hospital for 30 days. And, um, and, and prior to that, I had attempted suicide. So, you know, I was... Um, and I had started a new job uh, and, and, and moved to a new city. So, you know, there's a lot going on in my life. So I was telling her nothing in detail about my therapy. I just said, you know, I'm, I'm still in therapy. It's, it's, it's helping me a lot, but I think I have a long way to go. And she just got so upset. She said, when are you going to stop this? You've got to stop this therapy. Um, and, um, and, and, and she said, I just lost a a brother and now I've lost a daughter and she hung up the phone on me. And that was so unlike her because she really was a, uh, she was, she was a loving person in her own way. And this was like way, uh, off the charts from what I was, uh, what I had, uh, would have expected from her. Um, but it was because I set a boundary. And I, I wasn't good at sending boundaries. I didn't have, I didn't know what a boundary was. I learned about boundaries in the hospital. So I was setting a boundary, and I discovered that you're not allowed to set boundaries in my family. Um, yeah, and then yeah. I, I didn't know if I was. I, I, she didn't say I disown you, but then she said I've lost it. Now I've lost a daughter. But then they wouldn't. The, the, the Thanksgiving came, and my ex-husband, who had cheated on me, was invited to Thanksgiving dinner, and my children. Uh, went with him and I was left alone. So that's when I realized that I've been disowned. Gosh, I hear stories like this, you know, of this kind of nature so often. You know, you can't set boundaries with people who want full access to you and and do not want, you know, they don't want you Mm -hmm. to set any limits. There can't be limits because they, if they want to abuse, if abuse you, if they want to say mean things to you, However they want to treat you, they want to feel as if they have the right to do that. And when you set up the boundary, they want control. They want control. You're absolutely right. That's just, you know, and so they were defensive about something. You know, there was absolutely something that they were hiding. Um, And your mom, you know, that defensiveness was because she felt so guilty about something. That's how I feel. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever have a full vision of what happened to you? No, no, I did not. Uh, uh, and and that was a theme in the book. Um, it, the theme. It, it, so I I I wanted to have clear, um, uh, indisputable, take to the bank kind of memories. Um, instead, I had um, body memory. 
um, body pain, fragments, fr- fragmented memory. Um, I, I, I had, and, and the fragmented memories were, were horrible enough, you know, um, but they always felt a little, they felt um, uh, in, in the back brain instead of in uh, my front brain. Um, and I wanted, this, this is what I kept working for. And I, I work so hard in therapy. I, you know, my therapist said I was relentless and other people said that as well. I, I went to group therapy for eight years where I, I transferred um, my family of origin onto every member of the group. And I was in, you know, I come home from group and I would um, uh, call the suicide prevention hotline because I would be so triggered um, and, you know, people would say, well, why do you keep going? And I, I, I'd say, I, I have to. I have to. And in reality, that was that, – that I needed to do that because that's how I had to – I, I uh, healed my relationships. So I, I'm I, – I, you had talked about attachment um, uh, issues in, in, in relation to uh, DID, and that is true. But I wanted to have real relationships. I wanted authentic relationships. So I kept going back there, even though I felt um, like I was being uh, almost re-abused. But I wasn't being re-abused. I was just being triggered. And I had to, to go there to, 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 to work through the, my triggers and to get to take the steam out of them. I mean, fortunately, my my individual therapist was the same person who led group so she could see what was happening and she knew I wasn't being abused and then I would bring it back to her. So I, um, I worked so hard to heal and I kept waiting for these crystal clear memories to come. And, and after 10 years, I still had fragmented memories. I still had body memories. I still had um, uh, traumatic memories and um you know i i but but i was healing in every other way you know i was starting to have real relationships and my triggers were really uh, were much less and when i did get them i knew how to how to manage them i no longer felt um unreal um as i had before and and i eventually integrated and i i said i said to my therapist you know i don't want to just I want to live my life. I want to love, you know, I don't want to just keep coming back to therapy, waiting for memories to come that may not come in the form that I want them to come in. And, and she, I said, I want to live my life. And my therapist said, that's what therapy is all about. And she said, you're doing a great job. So that's, that's, you know, don't worry about it, whether you get crystal clear memories or whether you don't. Um, and so I didn't, and and um, and 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 um, my altars uh, integrated uh, without. Um, well, some of my altars actually told me that they would never let me know exactly what happened. You know, <laughs> they said we're never going to tell you. We're just never going to tell you. That's the way it is. You know, and no. and so I, um, you know, I just had to accept that. And and I have a story, um, and 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 it's. I'm relatively clear about lots of the story, but I don't know all of the abuse because my alters wouldn't tell me all the abuse, but we are happy as an integrated person now. And um, I will, you didn't ask this question, but a lot of people do. So I'm going to put it out there that we, um, that um, 
so integration is the word that has usually is usually used for when all your alters come together and then you're just one person again. Um, actually, there is some, um, I don't know if it's disagreement, but, but some people use the word fusion instead of integration. But in reality, everybody who is healing integrates in some way because you're integrating the knowledge of all your alters into who you are. In my case, my alters decided that we would live a better life if we were all uh, if, if 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 they gave over the um, the reins of the uh, of, of this uh, um, horse and buggy to me, uh, rather than them all coming in whenever, and so I am integrated. But some people are able to heal all of their their um, uh, their symptoms of abuse but their alters do not want to integrate and so they live in functional multiplicity and that's a valid choice um, but in my case we did integrate uh, but that doesn't mean that your alters are totally gone it means that they just um, are um, in a passive role and they relative they rarely um, come out every now and then somebody comes out and talks to me but um uh most of the time they just trust me and so um and so they are me so all of those parts that i have uh that and that used to be very active uh in in me are now a part of my um uh my my uh, compassion and my um caregiving and my assertiveness and occasional anger and my sexuality and sensuality and my professionalism um, and my wariness. <laughs> I mean, all of those things uh, used to be in, in separate altars with separate names. Um, and now they are me. Um, and occasionally one will still pop up. Uh, and and talk and usually that's Mike who's my angry alter, but um, uh, occasionally it's somebody else who might be really um, sad or um, uh, grieving or um, uh, in some other mode needs to be heard directly, but mostly not. Uh, mostly we're, we're all one. How do they make themselves known to you? Uh, they just talk. <laughs> they, it's just they 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 push themselves out and and um and and they become me and so but 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 the um you know i i i because i know them so well i know that it's that part of me you know uh that comes up i i have actually there's a really interesting uh, i i posted a, on my blog uh, last week, I think it was about a week ago, um, called uh, a blog post that, that's entitled um, An Altar Has Something to Say About Forgiveness. <laughs> and so, um, that, so if you want to see what, it, it, you know, get a sense of what it's like, uh, you, can, you can find out what Mike thinks about forgiveness um and by reading my blog post uh <laughs> i have a, 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 a actually uh, uh, um, uh, an altar that is not mentioned in the in the book named tears um you know 
I just cried all day um, a couple of months ago over something uh, that was devastating to me. And, you know, I, my, my poor husband just looked at me and didn't know, but I knew that it was tears that had just come up and just kept crying and crying. So it's, um, uh, you know, uh, I function as one, but see, the reason why they're still there is because, because my brain created, that's the way my brain was formed when I was very young. So I can live as a as a unified person now because of my deep therapeutic work, but um, but my brain will always have little little um, I don't know fuzzy little um, uh, separations between those parts. But mostly, I'm not even aware of that. So amazing! It truly, is amazing. The you mind say, is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. I mean. I, you know, I work with that too, and it just, it just blows my mind what the mind is capable of doing. Um, you know, early in your book, you talk about when you were a little girl, and this, you used to, you made up this little poem. You have a twin sister, but they gave her away, and she is me, and her name is Rosie. Now, Rosie was one of your authors, right? Yes. Okay, so there wasn't, it wasn't as if there was a physical twin sister that was given away? Okay. No. But Rosie made herself known to you at a very young age. No, actually not. Um, So that, um, there there were two little jingles. (laughs) The jingle that I I, um, am conscious of, when I was little is ring around the rosy pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And I used to love that, um, uh, to play that game when I was really, really little. Um, but the, the, um, uh, sort of riddle that you just said, um, came to me in a twilight dream after I came out of the hospital for 30 days um and i it, it just like jolted me and I, I was half asleep half awake and it jolted me out of my sleep and just um electrified me uh in my body and it it was um not anything i was expecting i didn't know where it came from i didn't know any rosy I, I, there were no twin sisters in my family's life, um, and um, but it was uh, Rosie's way of introducing herself to me um, when um, I was an adult and 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 in the middle of decompensation. Um, at the time, I didn't know that that meant that there was really a Rosie. You know, I didn't know. I wasn't diagnosed. I didn't know. Um, that I had alters. I just knew I had this little that was given to me um, as an adult, and I didn't know what to do with it, but I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it because it was so powerful. Um, and then I and then um, I start, gradually began to meet Rosie um, in my journal, um, and that's a one way that... Um, we can communicate with one another. It's a it's a wonderful way of communicating with alters, and I really recommend it. Um, in fact, I think you may have mentioned that I run 
um, writers' workshops for people with dissociative disorders, and um, uh, you can you can have your alters talk back to it, one to another or to you or you know in in, in any configuration, and you also can uh, have them they they can write to the, your therapist um, that way. And so I got to know Rosie uh, in part through my um, uh, journaling and in part in the therapy room when she would actually come up and out and share the fragmented memory of abuse with my therapist. So you had you talked about Mike. Did you have any other male authors? Uh, the protector was male, but uh, he was so uh, loving and giving that um, it, it, at one point when I didn't want any males inside of me, he he, he said he would switch genders, but. Um, yeah, yeah, so the protector was male, and uh, let's see. So Snake um, was um, what they would call a persecutor alter, I think, because he had no love for me, and I he was behind my suicidal thoughts. Um, and I, I think of him as male, but I'm not certain uh, that he was. Um, uh, there's a couple of others that I, I'm not really sure of their gender, but I think of them as male. Uh, I have one whose name is No Name, um, and um, he uh, was caught in a tunnel for all of our life, which really was a closet that I was locked in, you know, for maybe 24 hours. Um, and um, I think of him as a male. Um, so and now Mike uh, actually is a twin to Rosie or um excuse me not to Rosie to Sylvia who was my sexual older and they were both teenagers um and so Mike held the anger and she held the sexuality and the sensuality um and um I was thinking of something else and I forgot. Oh, oh, I would just say so, but interestingly, my so my highly professional alter is a female, uh, and her name is Paula, and um, and then then my my um, my mother, my my alter who mothered my children and who loved children so much, was Laura, and sometimes Laura and Paula would kind of connect up and and um, uh, work together. Um, so. So yeah, there, there, there really was no other than the fact that at one point I said I didn't want protector to be uh, a male. I think I was just testing him, you know, and he said, "Sure, I can be a female um, for you." But you know, he really he, he presented initially as a male, and um, uh, and Mike presented initially as a male, um, and then the, the other few that I said, you know, I experienced as male, but uh, it wasn't a problem really you know it didn't feel like um I, and it is a problem for some people and i would say that there are some people their male alters feel really really uncomfortable in a female body um and um you know or vice versa you know there are male uh males who have female alters who may feel uncomfortable um being in a male body so uh, i did not that was not an experience that i had that so was there a Lynn, or was Lynn just a bunch of fragmented 
altars? <laughs> uh, great question. And, and uh, you know, that's a question that I asked back then. And it's a question a lot of people ask themselves today who have DID. Uh, I feel like there's a lens because I feel so unified, you know. Um, but there was a time when I didn't feel at all unified, and I felt like Lynn was extraneous, that Lynn was just, you know, a, um, a, a you know, a, a, yeah, a fragment or, or just a, just another altar, you know, and, and um, so, and there, and some folks with DID do feel like all of them are altars, um, and I can't really say, I don't know, you know, if Lynn is just another altar or if Lynn is the core personality and, you know, everyone else is, is, is split off. So I can't answer that question. But now that I'm integrated, I feel unified. That's all I can say is I feel unified as Lynn. Okay. I don't feel fragmented. That's great. <laughs> That's, that was... Um... It that, is great. That was hard, and I that was so hard work. Grateful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that must work. have been hard work. And, yeah, yeah. It was very hard work, and I'm, I'm, um, I put one of the reasons that I wrote my memoir, "Crazy Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory," is that I wanted um, to be a beacon of hope for people. I'm 20 years out of integration now, and 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 again, I'm just coming out of the closet you know um but i i lead a very fulfilled and happy life um and um and i have very little drama or pain um and and so i and i, and I have a wonderful husband so i have a good uh you know um I, i've resolved my relationship issues um i've learned how to trust um i've learned how to navigate people um uh, with different personalities, um, and I credit my time in group for that. Uh, that that was incredibly painful, but that but it was worth it. It was all worth it, and I just want to be a person who can, um, you know, give give you inspiration that you can get there if you have DID or another dissociative disorder. That it's very possible, and also really for anybody with some kind of a mental illness um, that um, there are um, that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that um, if you keep working on it and you get the kind of, you ask for the kind of help that you need. That was a big thing for me. I didn't know how to ask for help, but once I learned how to ask for help that I did it all the time and I still do when I need help, I ask for it. And so I, I want to encourage people out there uh, to ask for the help that they need. That um, there's there's that that each one of you is worth it. That even when you feel the most worthless, and even when you feel the most desperate, that uh, you are worth it, and to keep going. Well, I can't top that message, and I'm going to let that be the last one because it's a beautiful way to um, to end the show is a beautiful message. Would you just tell everybody what your websites are and how they can get in touch with you and your books and your um, writing class workshops? Sure. Thank, thank you. So I, I have two workshops. 
um, my author workshop and the writing workshop. And so, excuse me, I have two websites, <laughs> the author website and, and, and the writer's website. So um, the author website, and, and you can kind of get to the other, each of them from the other. So uh, the, the first website is www.lynnbarrett.com. That's L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T dot com. And the other website is uh, www.dissociativewriters.com, and that's D-I-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-I-V-E writers.com. And um, I would love to hear from um, your listeners if they... Um, there's a contact form if they want to reach out, uh, and if they're interested in a workshop, they can register. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Um, and by the way, I have, uh, for any of you who didn't catch those websites, I do, I will have them up on her show page, so um, they'll be there for you. Wow. What what a fantastic story. I'm so happy to meet you as Lynn and so happy to hear your story and um, it is a phenomenal story it, it, it truly is I mean do you understand do you realize how phenomenal it is <laughs> thank you for saying that I I I I, I don't know if I do or not I, I guess <laughs> I do because I I don't always own it though but uh, what's phenomenal for me is that I am alive and I am happy and I am actually prosperous when I at one at points in my life I was destitute you know I I'm just like so grateful I am so incredibly grateful so yeah I guess it is a phenomenal story I, I certainly uh, feel that way for myself and I hope that others can take some goodness from it too yeah yes Thank I'm you. sure that they will Thank you, Lynn. Uh, Thank you for being my guest today. It's been really a pleasure having you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you, too, and you ask great questions. Um, (laughs) And I just want to say goodbye to your audience, your listeners. Thank you so much. Okay, Lynn. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, you too. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.